All right, today I'm, I'm sharing about, I just call it commission, command, and calling. Uh, we've been in Romans 12 for a while, and I, I'm talking about our callings and our gifts. And so I have a verse, uh, Colossians 3.23. Um, so my friend Ken Pierpont, he always gets the big idea of his messages. He's a pastor in Michigan. He always gets the big idea of his messages, writes it on a little yellow post-it note, and he says very strongly that if you can't put it on a post-it note, then you haven't prepared enough yet. And so, uh, so he, he, was, he was writing about this again last night when he posted his post. He always Saturday night posts his post-it note of what his message is going to be. And so, his, so this was his, his big idea for his message this morning was that um, whatever you think about at night before you go to sleep is going to impact the next day. That was his big idea for the message that he's going to be sharing today. And so I'm sitting there thinking, well, I don't have a big idea for my message tomorrow. And so I'm like, well, that's going to impact me. <laughs> but he had a, um, uh, but as I was looking at last night, Colossians 3.23 says, whatever you do, do it, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. And so as I was thinking about that, I said that, that really is the big idea here in Romans 12. If there's a summary of what I'm wanting to share, that's it. Now I know that we've walked around the idea of gifts and calling and we've looked at it from all different angles at different times. Um, and last week at, on the beach we talked specifically about how God will call someone and it will be completely different from his calling to me. But if I think that you have to have the same calling as me, um, then it will create a lot of unhealthy tension in the body and the fellowship. And so I, I want us to be able to um, to grasp that, that we are going to be different in the way we apply this and how we receive it and how we, even how we say we have a calling. So we're going to look at Romans 12, Reagan. You can pull that up. Um, but we have a, you know, we have throughout history, we have these moments. You know, you have Paul on the road to Damascus and he's the, the light from heaven and the voice from heaven. And you have that happening. You have Luther riding through a, a storm and there's so much lightning and everything that, and it hits and he's like that whole terror that he has. So for many people, it's a crisis point. A crisis makes them wake up to their calling. But the, 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 what we often miss is that in preparation for that crisis moment, there is a long lifetime of God already at work doing things, preparing things, and we're already doing much of our calling or being prepared for it, then the crisis moment comes, brings clarity and focus, and we say, ah, this is what God wants for me. And so I want to talk a little bit more about all that preparation and less about the crisis, because a lot of times when we talk about calling, we focus in on the crisis. And in fact, there are some circles, and I've been part of some of these, where if you haven't had such a burden of soul that has kept you up praying all night long, uh, you probably have not yet received from God what he has for you in, in, in those circles. Like it was, if you, were going to, if you were going to say, I believe God is directing me in this direction, I'm going to do this thing, you better not do it unless you've travailed in the spirit and prayed through. And so... There is some value in travailing in the spirit and praying through the night, right? There is, and it, there's some value in praying until we receive peace. 
But that is one of those applications where if that is my experience and then I try to create, recreate that in each of my friends and everyone else, that's, that becomes unhealthy, an unhealthy tension. Because for one person, you might simply be like Frederick Lehman walking through the woods or an orchard and you look around and everything is just beautiful and glorious and you say, isn't God amazing? And you want to follow him for the rest of your life. And he's the guy who wrote um, the, the song, The Love of God that we made the movie about. You know, like his, his testimony is, I was walking through the orchard and the trees and everything, so it must have been like golden hour and everything was backlit. Like it was just so beautiful and that was his heart moment response to God happened in that scenario. And so, so I think of that, like that wasn't a crisis, that wasn't a sleepless night, that wasn't a, a long time of prayer, that was just, here I am and the Lord used him. And so I, I want to make sure that as we are approaching the gifts, the callings, um, and our commission, that we're understanding it, that there's a, that there, there's a, a lot that just happens in the daily flow of our life. Um, and if we recognize that God's hand is at work, we're able to submit to him better and not to, to push against it. So um, I have many examples of this. I remember when I was 15, and we would be sitting in a group circle, and um, Delbert Headings was our Sunday school teacher, I think at the time, maybe John Chubb. Anyway, as we're sitting there, they would ask, does anyone have something you'd like to share? And this was my first response, always like, yes, I have something I'd like to share. My second response was, but I shouldn't share it because that would be selfish. And so there were times when I would muscle my way through an entire time not saying anything, and then almost no one would want to say anything, and my, this was my understanding at the time, was that everybody sitting there wanted to speak just as badly as I did. I didn't realize that, there, that in, a, in, a, in a room full of 10 or 12 people, you probably have someone that would rather die than talk. And so there were probably some of those in that room that, would have, that they didn't want to talk. And if I would open my mouth, they'd be like, oh, somebody's talking. They'll, they won't look at me and ask me. And so I had to understand after a while that God was calling me in a particular direction and it had to do with sharing truth. Now, I also have to be able to hear truth and listen. There needs to be a conversation, right? I can't just talk all the rest of my life. But I had to recognize that because God had put that in me, that was probably part of his calling and probably part of his gifting and I just needed to hone it and exercise it correctly. Let's look at Romans 12. Um, and we've, we've read through this several times, but I wanted to read, starting at verse 1 again today. Romans 1, uh, 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so this right here, the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that's what I'm wanting to look at, is that concept that God has a will. He has something he wants for, from us. And so if I tell you that you won't know the will of God until you've prayed through, that'll put a lot of pressure on you, right? If I tell you that you have to hear almost a, an audible voice or you won't know God's will for you, that's going to put a lot of unhealthy pressure on you. If I tell you that the whole world is probably going to go to hell until you figure out what God's will is for your life, that's probably going to put a lot of pressure on you and it's unhealthy. And so there's a balance between saying God has a will for you and saying 
telling you how you have to figure this out. And so I want to, like, it's supposed to bring peace to your heart, knowing that the creator of the universe knows you and knows how he made you and wants to use you. That's supposed to be comforting, that there is a greater mind than yours at work and wants to use you. So in, in um, can you hop over to 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Reagan? 1 Thessalonians 4.3. <laughs> uh, this one, I, I like this because it brings, we're going to be back in Thessalonians 4 later, but 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. And it keeps going on down the list. Uh, you know, Bob read a list in Matthew of things that fruits. And so there is something that God desires, and it says it's your sanctification. And so, there is an interesting thing when it comes to sanctification. Part of sanctification is us spending time with God and developing the fruit that grows. But there are some things that aren't a fruit. They don't just grow. For instance, humility is never listed as a fruit of the Spirit. However, we are told to humble ourselves before God. And so if you think, if you're waiting, you're like, I'm just going to um, spend more time with Jesus, it may, affect, it may impact and affect your decisions, and you might choose to humble yourself. But you may just be like, well, I've been reading all this, I've memorized all this, and you may not humble yourself until something happens. And there's that verse in, I believe it's also in Matthew, where it talks about the rock, talking about Jesus, the rock. If you fall on the rock, you will be broken, but if the rock falls on you, it'll grind you to powder. And so this is kind of the idea. If you say, Lord, please humble me, I... I I personally would counsel you to not pray like that. Because you, what you're basically saying is, Lord, here I am, and if I'm going to be humble, you're going to have to do it. I would not do it that way. I would come and humble myself before the Lord and say, Lord, I am choosing to humble myself. Give me wisdom, help me understand, and, but I am choosing to humble myself because I want to, he is God, I am not. And if I am asking him, it's almost like I'm saying, you know, I am such a hard person that it's going to take a miracle from heaven for me to ever be humbled. And so I don't want to pray like that. I want to pray, Lord, I'm humbling myself before you. And so there is a difference between fruit that grows and decisions and choices and actions that we take. And so when we're talking about callings, this is important to, to take into consideration because some of the things in our life are our decisions are our actions, that he's asking us to do something. He has sent out his word to us. He sent out his spirit to us. We have the picture in Revelation 3.10, the lukewarm church, and, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. And so Jesus is knocking, and, it's a, and he's wanting to come in and have fellowship with us. And so we want to humble ourselves. So I just, I wanted to throw that in there, is as we're looking at life purpose and life direction, there is a certain amount of, uh, you know, I shared a couple weeks back, I, I forget when exactly it was, it might have been a month or more ago, when I was sharing about how I was looking for some new revelation of what God was doing because I wanted a big calling. And instead it was the same old thing that I already was familiar with, that I was already preparing for, that I was already submitting to, and it was, it was not new and big and exciting, it was just continue. See, the first time God calls you and he says, I want you to go do something, you're like, wait, what? And you, you may not experience this, you might, where he specifically calls you and says, I want you to do this. I remember when I was 18 and God was calling me to filmmaking. 
Well, since the time God called me to filmmaking the first time, and I first put it into words, and I first was praying about it and saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this, and I was talking to my family, and we were praying about it. Since that time, I've never been called to filmmaking for the first time. It's always was just that one time was the first time. That was new and exciting and different. And since then, there's been a lot of times where I stand and I'm like, okay, so that's the filmmaking road. And over here's the nice little American dream with the white picket fence. Do I really want the filmmaking road? That looks kind of hard. Long days, long nights. And at the end, I'll make a movie and someone's going to call it cheesy. Do I want that? And, and yet, it was still God's calling. And God was still preparing me. But it wasn't new and exciting and big. And so every so often something happens in film where I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool that God did that. And so there's still excitement, but it's not from that first moment of calling. And so what can happen is we can get addicted to that first moment of calling and never follow through any of them. Because, you know, so if you think of going to, um, and I don't know if they do these as much anymore, but I, I know, you know, 20 years ago, I would be at conferences where we'd have so many missionaries speaking from different places around the world, and they'd come up, they'd have little videos or slideshows, and they would talk about the country where God had called them to do, what God was doing there, and I'd be like, oh, maybe God is calling me over there. And I'd get all excited, maybe it's Kenya, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, the next speaker's up, he's talking about somewhere in South America, I'm like, maybe God has called me there. Oh, that would be so awesome. And then a few minutes later, it's Africa. Well, maybe God has called me there. And so the excitement of thinking I could be uprooted, and for some of you, that might not be excitement, that might be horror, but like for me, that was excitement, like I could be uprooted completely and sent to some other place. Wouldn't that be awesome? And then the reality, I remember uh, when a trip to the Gambia got canceled for me and I was just praying and I was like, Lord, I keep sensing that you're calling me to America, the United States, and I don't want to be here. I'd rather go to Africa. And, and I just remember that, that realization that God might be calling me to reach my neighbors and the people that I know. And I'm like, Lord, I've been to the mall. I'm not good at reaching these Americans. I don't speak their language. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to live with them. And, and so it was, it was interesting for me to see when, when Jesus said, you know, start in Jerusalem and then go out, he was saying start with your people. And you see that with the Apostle Paul when he says he's very clearly called to the Gentiles, but he always starts with the Jews. He starts with his people, and then he goes out from there. And so, uh, and, and with Paul, you know, he went from city to city, and he did the same thing over and over and over again. Now, exciting things happened. You know, people got saved. There was different levels of success. But he wasn't going down the road and suddenly God said, okay, this city, I want you to do the, the Gentiles first and then go to the Jews. It pretty much stayed the same for him his whole life. And so that's part of what I want to share today is how there's a certain amount of us just doing this. So, so I want to read uh, back in Romans 12, Reagan, uh, starting in verse 3. We're going to read 3 through 8. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us 
use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, now I've said before that this is, this is probably a truncated list. It's not the full list, right? It's a, it mentions a bunch of different things, but it doesn't list everything. So now I want to go back to the thing that applies to all of us. Matthew 28, um, 18 through 20. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, this is our commission. And so whenever we say that we're going to do something, like when I, when I say I'm going to make a film, the question I have is where's the money come from? And then, like, and, and then there's another part of it where we say, do I have the authority to tell this story? Because sometimes I don't have the authority to tell this story. So Matthew 28, um, verse 18 says, Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, when I say um, authority in like filmmaking, like, this, this is, happens a lot. You'll have young men who are 16, 17, 18, 19. They're like, let's make an awesome movie. And so they'll bring together a bunch of young men, a bunch of cameras, and they're like, let's make it about spies and, and, and this surveillance state, and let's have these huge epic battles and all this stuff. And they do all this, and they think it's awesome. They run around parking garages. They try to blow up things. They drive sports cars. They, do, they wear the sunglasses and stuff, and they make this big movie, right? And I watch it. I'm like, that's a bunch of kids running around. What are they doing? Because when I'm expecting to actually see a surveillance state, I'm not looking for an 18-year-old kid. I'm expecting to see some man that looks like he's had military training, that looks like he could kill a cat without crying, and that he would just, you know, this is what I'm expecting. And instead I see this rosy-cheeked kid wearing sunglasses looking cool. And I'm like, you don't have the authority to tell the story you're trying to tell. Go tell a different story. Because you have stories you can tell. Like you can tell a story like a bunch of high school kids went on a hike and one got stuck on a cliff because he was too um, brave and climbed a cliff where he couldn't come back down. You have authority to tell those kind of stories because you do those kind of things. So tell a story that you're allowed to tell. Now, of course, the guy that comes in to rescue the kid off the cliff, he needs to look a little older. So again, you will have to borrow someone's experience. So, but there's a certain amount of, when I started preaching, I remember thinking there's some things I can't preach about. You know, when I was 18 years old and single, I couldn't talk about marriage very well. And then for a number of years, I wanted to talk about finances because I had all these ideas. And then I kept looking at my finances going, but I'm not doing so great. And so I shouldn't talk about it. So there's a certain amount of authority that we're talking about. And and when Jesus says, go back one verse, Reagan. Um, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So Jesus is saying he has all the authority. Then he's sending us out. Next verse says, um, go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. And so what I find about our commission is that there are several things. Christ has the authority and then he is sending us out. And so our authority comes from Christ. Our message comes from Christ. And again, like I just said, you know, there's some things that I may not be able to share at all points in my life, but as I walk and, and, and walk with Christ, he, part of the authority that I have comes not from who I am, but who he is. And when I spend time with him, he is transferring that and speaking through me. And so this applies to all of us. When we're new believers, a lot of times um, you, you go and you're trying to share something with someone when you're trying to explain something and it's too big of a concept and you finally say, just, just come with me and we take the person back to the person that led us to Christ. 
And then that person is able to disciple and explain to this new person that we were just trying to talk to. So I know that's a lot of people and persons and stuff, but, but there's a certain amount of authority that comes from walking with Christ for any amount of time. And we want that. So we have a commission that says, I have all the authority and I'm sending you out. And so here's one of the rules that you'll notice. Most people have a saying you know, in history, if you have a person like Hudson Taylor, uh, D.L. Moody, George Mueller, all of these people, they would have some kind of a saying, something along the line of where God guides, he provides. Um, you know, if, if the Lord is the one, uh, what's the other one that I just heard recently? But it's that, that concept, you know, with, with, with the direction that God sends to us, he provides for us. And so this is just something that is, is become well-known within Christian circles is that if it's God who's calling me and I start walking in obedience, he's going to provide for me. And sometimes it's not until the very last, what we would call the 11th hour, he just says, well, he didn't need it five minutes ago. He needed it now. And so, so it's, it's like, that, like, the, um, like Corey Ten Boom and her, her, her train ticket story, you know, when she was, she was basically asking, do I, would I have the grace to die for the Lord is, is the, the context that she was speaking in. And her father, Casper uh, Ten Boom, had, had given her a story when she was a little boy, a little girl saying, remember when we go on a train ticket, when we go on a train ride? And she, and she was like, yes. And, and when do I give you the ticket to get on the train? And she was like, well, right before we get on the train. Do you need it before then? No. Are you able to get on the train with it? Yes. And so the, the lesson is simply there are some times when God gives us exactly what we need in the moment we need it and not before and not after. And what we are trying to do is to know God well enough and to trust him well enough to not stress out and cancel everything before that moment. Because there's many things that we could cancel because we're looking at it from a human perspective going, there is no provision here. All right, so the first thing is our commission. We've been commissioned by the high king of heaven. He wants us to go to make disciples. And so I, I, I am grateful for the fact that this is not exclusive only to a select few, but he's speaking to his disciples, to his apostles. And then as he's praying um, before in John, um, he's praying for all of us and those who will come later. And so I believe this applies to all of us. And as we now know, when it says go into all the world, it's more of a, and as you are going type process. So we're, we're going somewhere. Um, and we've been given authority to represent the king as we go. He wants us to tell them what we've heard from him. And so this is one of the reasons why we spend time in the word of God and studying. It's one of the reasons why we speak with each other about what we've learned in here. Because if we, if we think we understand all this and then we go out and we start teaching people and someone starts hearing going, wait a minute, what are you saying? That's not the way Christianity works. So we want to make sure that we have worked it out in fellowship first before we start teaching new believers so that we don't start a cult somewhere and, and, and create a whole nother problem, right? And so... So the, uh, let's go to Matthew 22. So we have the commission, which is Christ saying, I have all the authority and I'm sending you out. So in Matthew 22, and I have to find the verses because, ah, here we go, 37 and 40, 37 to 40. 
And so this is right after he talks to the Sadducees about the resurrection and completely blows their mind. And then the lawyers come, uh, the Pharisees here, the, and a lawyer comes and he asks a question. And he's testing him is what it says. And the question is, what it, which is the greatest commandment in the law? So in chapter, uh, tw Matthew 22, verse 37, it says, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second, now this is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so we have this, this picture of love. So, so this is a, a command, and again, this applies to all of us. And so what, I'm, what I wanted to do as we talk about gifts and callings, I wanted to de-escalate it for a moment and say, not what applies only to you and specifically to you, but what applies to all of us. So all of us have been given the authority to make disciples. All of us are able to tell someone else what we have experienced with Christ. When we first come to Christ and we very first prayer, however we pray, whether we pray a prayer and ask Jesus into our heart, whether we repent of our sins, whether we humble ourselves, whether we are submitting to God, whatever our prayer looks like at the beginning, when we have that connection with Christ, something happens inside and we begin to want to share that. And so as we share with other people, we say, well, here's what happened to me. I prayed and I submitted to Christ. And then, and so what we share is what we did. And then as we go a little farther in, in the journey and we find other truths, for instance, you know, if someone has an addiction and then they come to Christ and they start memorizing scripture and, and suddenly their addiction is gone or their anger is gone, they're going to talk about that. They're going to say, you know, I used to be like this and now I'm like this. What's that thing from the chosen? I used to be like this and now I'm like this. And the thing that happened is Jesus. It's him. And so there's something that happens. So that's how we share our testimonies. We say, here's where I started. Here's where I am. And here's what happened. And so for all of us, that's a little bit different. But when we have a marriage that's been on the rocks and then it comes back, what do we do with those people? We put them into marriage counseling places and, and retreats and they share their story over and over again to all these other people to hopefully inspire married people to, to, to be able to fight the good fight and stay married. If you have someone who had a porn addiction, he comes out, where do we put him? We don't put him in the women's ministry. We put him in men's ministry to talk with the men because he's sharing with other people what his experience has been. And so we do this over and over because we just practically look at it and say, well, if you were like this and now you're like this and Christ changed that, you need to tell other people what happened. And so we are recognizing a gift and a calling on someone's life and we're giving them opportunity to live and act in it and they might not ever have heard a, gotten a light from heaven or a, been hit by lightning or anything amazing. It might have just simply been they were walking with God. And so this is, this is a powerful part of recognizing the commission and the command and the calling is because if I find something, if I'm loving people, like it says here, you shall love the Lord your God, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, when I experience something and it's good, I want my neighbor to know. Now, I'm still not good at being a neighbor. I, 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 I honestly, like, I'm more of the guy that, like, I love looking out my window and seeing nature and other things happening. And I don't even mind looking out my window and seeing what the neighbors are doing. I just don't like it when the neighbor looks out his window and sees what I'm doing. 
And so, so I, I'm not always properly neighborly, but I try to be. And, and this year, one of my big attempts at it just fell flat. Like I was out shoveling snow and my neighbor was shoveling snow. And I tried talking with, to him several times and it just seemed like, I thought, well, maybe it's too loud. So he's 10 feet from me, just shoveling away like this and I'm standing over here and I stop and I'm like, good morning. And, and as he does his last shovel, he turns and walks the other way and he's got earbuds in and he like never said hi, never talked to me. I'm like, surely he saw me. Like personally, I started feeling quite offended by it all. And I'm like, well, maybe he didn't, maybe not, you know, I don't know, but I would have liked to talk with my neighbor, right? And, and so there's, but there's a, there's a sense in which in the commission that Christ has given me as I'm going, whoever I'm meeting, I am loving them and what I do in interaction with them, it starts to determine where my gifts and callings are. And so you'll have some people who will in three sentences or less be talking about Jesus and have the other person responding and talking. And I'm like, now there's something of an evangelist because I don't know how to do that always. It happens sometimes, but I don't have that gift. I'm willing, but I don't just know how to make it happen. And so, I don't stress about that, that I can't just immediately be talking about Jesus, but I'm always willing to talk about my faith. And so as I'm going, I know that I have the authority to talk about what God has done in my life. And so when I'm talking with different people, I will talk about different things, you know. Um, but, there, but there's a sense here in which as I'm looking for my calling, what I'm looking for, and this is what you're looking for, is what is my part? Because here's the great commission. God sends us all out. And as we're going, we're supposed to love the people we come in contact with. So we have the great commission. We have this command happening where we're commanded to love. And as we're going, we're, one, we're walking with the Lord, loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're loving our neighbor as ourselves. So this is what we're trying to do. And as we're doing this, out of this will come our specific gifts and callings. And the way you may not recognize it first, someone else might recognize it before you do. You might recognize it, you might, because I remember being in scenarios multiple times in my life, it still happens to this day, where I'll be with a group of people, we'll run into someone or we'll run into a scenario and suddenly somebody is responding. You know, whether it is after church and we're setting up tables or it's somebody is talking with someone or suddenly someone's praying with someone and I'll just see someone responding and I'm like, why didn't I think of that? And sometimes the reason I didn't think of it is because it's not in my wheelhouse. It's not my gift and it's not necessarily my calling because then there's other times when something happens and I'm just like, hey, I have something to say and I'm right there and I'm ready immediately to interact or to do something. And it's, what is that? It, it is something is flowing out of my life. And in that moment, I was able to hear from God something that was needed. And I remember in, um, I've now repeatedly been in conversations where, you know, we're talking through something and maybe it's more of an apologetics debate or something where you have someone who's, who's asking questions. And, you know, when they go to apologetics sometimes and start asking some of these questions, I just, I just start feeling attacked at some point. I'm like, they don't love me. They hate me. I don't even know why we're having this conversation. Now, but not Stacy. She's like, oh, this is awesome. I love this conversation. Let's talk about this some more. Have you considered this question? How about this question? And she just starts coming alive. And I'm sitting there going, okay, we can stay a little longer. I was ready to go home, you know, but she's coming alive. And so she's responding. She has a different gifting in this area than I do. 
And so I had to start recognizing that just because I didn't always respond the way other people did wasn't necessarily wrong. But to allow that to challenge me to say, am I listening to the Lord enough so that as he has sent me out and as I'm going and as I'm bumping into people and I'm loving them as as he says here, you know, love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then I'm supposed to be loving my neighbor as myself. Am I doing that? Am I loving them? And it will look differently at different times. Um, you know, if I see someone sitting out next to a pond in a park somewhere and they have a little blanket out and they have a book out and everything, a proper way to love them is probably not to go start a conversation. Because if I was in that scenario, maybe I'd be out, I, I don't think I'd be there looking for a conversation. I, I just don't think so. And so, so there's, you have to think through what is a proper way of loving someone? How do you interact with people? Um, and I, it's, it's, um, I've been watching a lot of young people in different places. Like yesterday I was buying a coffee at, at Ziggy's down there and the girl that was in there, she was doing all of these, these, the way she was interacting with me, like I recognized it from some of the other young people I've been talking with. Like these are the ways to what we would have said a couple generations ago to make friends and influence people. Like the, the new how to make friends and you know, how to win friends and influence people, the way that the body language, the stuff they're saying, how they're interacting, the way they're smiling. Like, this is what they're, this is what this young generation is learning to, this is how, and it works. It's great. I liked it, but I just recognized it as, as this is, you know, she's, she doesn't have to do this. She doesn't have to interact with me. She can say, what? A latte? Okay. And she can go make it. But she didn't. She interacted. She talked with me. And so I thought about that is, is, there is a certain level to the way we interact that is we learn from other people. So when I'm with other people and I see responses happening, I do like to simply check myself and allow it to challenge me to say, should I be responding in this way? What part of this should I be doing? And so occasionally I'll be with someone and the way they interact with other people, I'm like, no. You know, I could probably live a million years and never do that because it just doesn't fit me at all. It's not the way I interact with people. But then I'm with people and they will respond in a way I'm like, you know, that is, that is really good and I could do that and I probably should. And so there's a certain learned action that I could call um, and it's, um, Dave helped me buy a guitar earlier this week and so as you know, we're, we're looking at guitars and, and we're in there and I'm thinking, you know, there was a meme that was going around, and I, I think this a lot, you know, we, we call people who can play guitar or any other instrument well, we say they're gifted, they have a gift for it. But many of them say, yeah, the gift is called two hours a day for 20 years. You know, it's, it's practice, it's actual discipline. But at, even if someone is very disciplined and becomes good, and we enjoy what they're doing, we still call it a gift. And we still sometimes call it a calling, but there's discipline involved. And so there is a bent in us towards something that we can further develop. And so this is something too, is in order to call it a gift and a calling, it doesn't just have to be a complete like, whew, here it comes. You know, like, um, who wrote Canon and D? Um, Paco Bell. 
so there's some story out there that for Paco Bell, he was like, he was, that he was in a moment, it was as if he heard the heavens singing this song. And so he writes this whole music out and then never writes anything else that's worth listening to later, right? And so, so some of us, that's the way we want it to be. We want it to be where we hear music from heaven and we have the revelation and the work is all done. And then we're just finished. But that's not quite the way that God wants to work with us. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 again, and we're going to start verses 9 through 12. 2 Thessalonians chapter 4. No. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 2 Thessalonians has no chapter (laughs) 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. (laughs) Reagan caught it pretty quickly. He was, there was no four there. Okay. So it says, it says, but concerning the brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. So notice how he's talking about brotherly love. We just came from the commandment about love. So as we're going and we're supposed to be loving people. Uh, and so this is part of our calling as Christians. We're making disciples and we're loving our neighbor as we go. We're loving God, loving our neighbor. But then Paul is writing to, to the Thessalonians, he says, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. So he's saying, you're doing pretty good with the loving part, all right? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Let's go back to verse 11. It says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. So he's saying, uh, and, and verse 10 was um, the line that you, may, that you increase more and more. And then it goes to aspiring, uh, go back to verse 11, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. And so this increasing more and more, see if I tell you, or if you tell me that you know, you're praying for me, um, that I could increase more and more, how am I supposed to increase? And so for me, depending on what my context is for increasing more and more, I'm going to put different things in it. One is I'm going to either ask for more influence. I'm like, if I could just increase and have a bigger audience and talk to more people, that would be great. Depending on my context, I'm going to say the bank account is growing because I'm increasing more and more. And, but in this context, he's talking, you're doing great with brotherly love. You're already, but now I want you to aspire to lead a quiet life, working with your own hands. And so there's something that he's asking of the Thessalonians that I think is good for us because this next, when it says um, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that phrase, uh, lead a quiet life, I feel like my heritage kind of took that one and made that be the big, big thing. So today, if you go back in an Amish or a Mennonite community, you'll find a lot of hardworking people who are, who are just quietly at work. They're doing a lot of stuff. And we may not hear much about them, but they do impact world events at times. But they're quietly living, and they, it's almost a value to be the quiet in the land. And so as they're quietly living, and they're able to do so many things. They're able to you know, do their own mechanics, they're fixing, uh, they're taking care of animals, they're doing all of this themselves, they're doing amazing things. Um, you know, um, Wednesday night, Caleb and Walter were having a conversation talking about the need for this generation to be able to talk about 
uh, to be able to fix things. And so even, um, what was it, a practical life skills institute or something is what Mr. Popoff was talking about. And it was just a, it was an idea of having a place where people could come and learn how to change oil and do all of those things. And as, as I was listening to it, I was remembering, it was a, almost like an echo in my mind of what uh, Roy, Pastor Roy Rhodes had shared with us in an interview, because he's a pastor of a Mennonite church. What different, uh, you know, Amos Raber, when, he was, when we were asking him, what do you like about the Anabaptist culture? Why did you stay here? And I'm thinking about all of this Anabaptist, what we all say is something along the line of, we love how much we're trained to work and how much we expect that we can just do anything. How much we'll do with our hands. And so I'm thinking, now here's a culture that has all of this in place, but do we have the great commission and the command to love? Like, are we truly loving our neighbor? Do we truly care about the gospel? Are we making disciples? Because then on the other hand side, I'm looking at Caleb and, and Mr. Popoff and the others, and they're, they're standing there, and they have a place where they understand the great commission, and they understand loving, but they're saying, we need to add this, basically what the, Paul is telling the Thessalonians, I want you to increase in this. And so there's a certain well-roundedness, a certain can-do attitude that goes with our work ethic that we as believers need, where when we see a need, we don't assume, hey, who's going to fill this need? I see a need over here. But we assume if I'm seeing it, I might be part of the solution. And so as I'm working with my hands and I'm living a quiet life, it puts me in a position that when I see a need, I can actually move on it and I can actually do something for it. So when I see this, um, the, the idea, the concept that I should aspire to a quiet life, the very first time, okay, so I know I've read the Bible through so many times before this, but there was a day I was driving early in the morning down in West Texas and I was listening to the Bible, uh, you know, an audio Bible, and then it came through here and said, aspire to live a quiet life, and I scrambled to find my phone to stop it, to make it go back and read that part again, because I never heard it say, aspire to live a quiet life. And all my aspirations were more like, aspire to success, and to fame, and to influence, or whatever. Like, that was more, I was more rock star in my, in my aspirations, right? And so instead, it was like, aspire to a quiet life. What does this even mean? And I, I want to apply this fully to us when we're talking about our gifts and our callings, is that there is a settled peace that comes from God that we have access to, that we're doing the right thing. And that settled peace comes in several pieces. Okay. One part of it is this. I trust that if I am walking in obedience to the high king of heaven who sent me out to make disciples, and I am loving the people around me as I go, and I'm being diligent and working with my hands and doing what my part, wherever it is. I trust that there, if there is a need and a call that he needs me to do something different, he can let me know. I don't have to wait until I get to heaven and then hear someone say, you were actually supposed to be in the, you know, out in the Pacific Islands somewhere. What? I never, I, I heard Africa. I heard some other country. I never heard Pacific Islands. Yeah, well, because you didn't go to this one meeting when you were 19 and you missed hearing about the Pacific Islands, therefore you, missed, you, you messed up your entire life. I can trust that my loving creator and God will not say that to me. He will not judge me for what he, I didn't hear from him. And so I remember praying a prayer when I was 18 and it had to do with marriage, but I was like, Lord, I don't know when I'm ready to get married. So when it's time, would you hit me over the head with a two by four and let me know? 
And boy, did he ever. And so, so if you're afraid that you're not hearing the calling, if you're like, I keep thinking maybe I missed it. Well, here's what you do. You ask the Lord to reveal himself to you. In, in, in Timothy, we have, when Paul is writing to him, he says, you know, th- this God's will for us has been revealed to us through the gospel. And so for us, it can be the same. We can come and we can have his desire for us be revealed to us through the gospel. So we can come to him and we can trust that if we ask him, Lord, what is your desire for me? He can show us and he will show us. He will not leave us out of this. And so there's a quiet place in our hearts where we can trust that if there's something else I'm supposed to be doing, he can take me, he will, he will let me know. Now, once you have something like that, it's a whole different story. Like once you f- sense a calling, then you need to be diligent in pursuing that and say, Lord, what is this? What is this about? And what I love about those times is that some of those are some of the sweetest times in my life where I feel like so strongly, God has called me to this, but I don't know how. And so I'm seeking his face and I'm crying out to him. That's a very sweet time when we have a little bit of direction, but we don't fully understand it and we're seeking him for more of it. But in all of this, there is a certain quietness that comes that is just, God is not calling you to be someone else. He's calling you to be you. He's, he's built into you certain desires and personality and skill sets and things that if you submit to him, he will develop further. And so if you're patient and you are diligent and you do the work that comes to your hand, think of Moses. You know, we look back and say, well, we look at what Moses was called to do. But on the day when God was talking with Moses, you know, the, the burning bush and all that stuff, and you think, wow, if I was in Moses' shoes, I'd just be like, yes, sir, I'm going to Egypt now. But Moses wasn't that way. He's like, I, Lord, have you been to Egypt? Like, it's pretty bad back there. They kill people and stuff. Well, actually, I killed people while I was in Egypt too, you know? And so he's like, he's going through this whole thing. Like, he's like not only do I have, I have guilty past, but I also, like, how, Lord, what do you think you're doing? How am I going to do this? And one of the questions, to paraphrase, is God just simply looks and says, Moses, you asked me how you're going to do this. What do you have in your hand? And Moses like, well, I got this shepherd's staff. I'm going to use that. And here's how I'm going to use it. And so we see this in retrospect, we look at everything Moses did, but when Moses came away from the burning bush, you would have said, Moses, what's your life calling? What's your life purpose? What are you going to be remembered for? What's your legacy? And I don't think we would have gotten the proper answer after the burning bush. I don't know if we would have gotten a proper answer from Moses after the Red Sea crossing. I don't know if in his lifetime Moses ever fully understood his life purpose. But he understood who had sent him and by what authority he went back to Egypt and he did the thing that was at hand and he was trying to love the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength and he had a relationship with God that was different and unique from the people around him. He got to spend time in the presence of the living God in the mountain So he had a lot of the pieces in place, but if we would have asked him and said, what's your life calling? He may not have been able to tell you. So I wanted to bring a little piece to our lives that way too. You may not have, like I have a specific life calling that I say, this is my life calling. 
and it has to do with discipling men and encouraging families through the traditional methods of preaching, teaching, and discipleship, and through the arts, filmmaking, storytelling, and writing. That's what God has called me to do. So I use, so if I'm making a movie or if I'm here at church or if I'm meeting with you one-on-one, I'm, I feel fairly confident that I'm, I'm trying to encourage faith in men and families. That's what I'm trying to do, whether I'm making a movie or, or meeting here. And so it has been helpful for me because there are times when I'm like, oh, should I be, should I be translating Bibles and taking them into deepest, darkest? Well, no. Did, am I doing what's at hand? Am I doing what God has called me? Yes. Okay, so I'm going to be at peace with that. And if God tells me it's not going to be a question in my heart anymore, it's going to be a pretty clear, I'm supposed to be doing something else. And what I love about our creator when he interacts with us in this way is God's call for us has less to do with making the headlines and has more to do with just daily attendance to him. Attending to the king, ministering to the king, reading his word, praying, seeking his face, and simply asking, what do you have for me today? And every day in the quiet application of love, working with my hands, encouraging those I come in contact with, and doing my part, like I can't do every part, and the sooner I recognize that, the better off I am. But I just do my part. And in Colossians 3.23, you know, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. So I'm doing it as to the Lord, not to men, whatever it is I'm doing. So now as I come back to Romans 12, and I read this, we're all, you know, We have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. See, sometimes, and this might be helpful for you, you, sometimes in my life, I'm expecting the big introduction. I'm expecting basically like the trumpets to be blown and said, okay, now Joseph is going to operate in his gift and everyone looks this way and then I start doing it, right? And it's more like an event. And while we may all get into events at times where we actually use our gifts, that's not quite the way the body works. Like there's no huge fanfare. Um, the little pinky finger is going to flex, you know. There, there is, we don't have that in our, the way our body works. The head, the authority says, we're going here, we're doing these things, and the body follows. And so there's a certain amount of, we don't need fanfare to be walking in our gifts and callings. Now in the church, we have elevated a few of the gifts and callings um, and, and made we have made it indistinguishable between a role in the church and a gift. And so it makes it to where all the other gifts suddenly seem like, how do they fit? But I wanted to say, just to point this out, in the commission and in the calling that God gives us, sometimes we are given a specific role. For instance, if you're a parent, you've been given a different role. It's special and it's specific and God cares about it and he wants to use you in that role. You are to guide and protect your children. This is something you're you're supposed to disciple them. Every one of us will do it differently based on our callings. 
We're not going to do it exactly the same. You know, I see some people do stuff. And I'm like, how do they do all of that? And then I have other people tell me, how do you do all of that? And I'm like, I'm actually not doing that much. I'm just living. But because I'm living where God has called me and because I'm using my gifts, it, to someone who doesn't have my gifts, it would be a lot of work to do what I do. But for me, while it, sure, it may be a lot of work, it's also just, it's the sweet spot. I enjoy this. This is great. I love it. I love my family. I love my sons. I love living with them, but I'm not doing it in your shoes. And I'm not doing it in your gifts or call it. I'm doing it in mine. And so when Stacy and I came together, we quickly discovered she had some gifts I don't have. And so there's times when I'm like, okay, you're taking care of this. And there's other times where I step forward and we work together in this way. And this is how the body works. I'm at peace with where I am. I'm encouraged when I see you working in your gifts, but I don't feel like I have to walk in your gift. And so this quietness of heart, I think, is a necessary thing to consider. That we're not trying to do it to great fanfare. We're not trying to do it and make everything function our way, but we're trying to allow God to do in us what he's called us to do. So I'm going to pray for us and just ask that we would all be able to function in this, but, the, but, the, but really, we're doing it not to men, we're doing it to the Lord. That's what the whole point is. And so, the, you know, he has saved us by the mercies of God, Jew first, also to the Greek, this was the gospel that we had. He saved us. And then, he allows us to walk with him. And in walking with him, we actually get to operate in gifts and callings and impact other people. And we won't know the full story until we can sit and talk with other people. I, I love every so often in my life, I've gotten to either tell someone something they did 20 years ago, how it impacted me. And sometimes they're like, I don't even remember that. And, and, but I love those conversations where you're like, you were doing what you're supposed to be doing. And it impacted me to understand what I was supposed to be doing. I'm going to just pray for all of us that we could quietly, calmly walk with the Lord and every day have that awareness that he has given us gifts and callings. And it, it may come with a lightning strike, but it may also just be whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love to us. Thank you for your provision for us. Thank you that you've gifted us. You've given us gifts and callings and ways to work together. We're not all identical, Lord. We have unique gifts and callings. And so, Lord, I pray for each of us that are here. Would you give us a confidence and a peace in you, knowing that if you want us to be doing something specific, you will let us know. And if you just want us to continue to walk in your authority and making disciples, loving people, and working with our hands, then, Lord, we want to do that. So, Father, I ask you to give us clarity, give us peace. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.